Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. So I, I've, uh, if you've heard me talk before, I've, I've always talked about The Chosen. So I thought, like, well, let me show you a little clip of The Chosen. The Chosen is a, a series that you can, it's an app, it's free. Apple, you can go on your phone and you can play it. Actually, you can do it on Prime Video. Um, encourage you to watch it. There's three seasons. That actually was the, the last episode of the last season. It just came out a couple months ago. And so it shows, to me, it shows, it makes the Bible become alive. Right, so it definitely has license. They take some license. They give you some backstory, maybe that they kind of read some things into it, but they stay true to the story of Jesus. They stay true to the story of the Bible. You know, the series that we're on is Roots and Fruits, and we're talking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Right, so the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and today we're doing goodness, faithfulness, and then self-control. I love the, the verse that we don't, the after part of that verse says, against such things there is no law. Like the, we're talking about that our calling, if we believe in Jesus, is to, is to be rooted and grounded in the spirit of God versus being rooted and grounded in the flesh. And so the acts of the flesh, right, there's laws against that. It's wrong to do things that are of the flesh. Nobody makes a law about loving your brother, about being joyful, about being people of peace, about being good, about being gentle, about having self-control. There is no law against those things. And yet, how much do we struggle really living in the Spirit? So I love, what I love about that story is that it's the reality of us. Like, what does it mean to be rooted in... in root, what does roots and fruits even mean? It means that we are called, if we trust in Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we kind of hopefully live out the attributes that God has, right? So we're not, when we say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, that's not from me. I'm not good because I'm good. I'm not loving because I'm loving. I am only could be good, loving, and gentle because that's who God is. Right? So the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you spend in the Word, the more time you have the Spirit of God touch your life, the more time you spend praying, the more time you spend meditating on who God is, the reality is, the more we're going to reflect Jesus. I love that story, too, because, remember, Jesus took three years with 12 men and a whole bunch of women and other people. Three years. On hello, they didn't cha- their lives weren't changed on hello. They spent three years of seeing Jesus, Jesus talking to them, Jesus encouraging them, Jesus challenging them, but they still didn't even know who Jesus was until he died and rose again. And once he died and rose again, they went out and spread the word and they changed the world. Like, we're here today. We just saw that, that there's a guy witnessing the people in Cambodia. Last week we had a, a, a pastor in Ukraine. Like, there's people, we're in a church because of what those guys in that boat did after Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't even believe who Jesus was. Peter was, was a man that was, like, confused and he was impetuous and all those kind of things. But when he saw Jesus rise from the dead, his life was changed. And our world has never been the same. It's not going to happen overnight. Roots and fruits, right? It's about a tree that has to grow deep 
We need to spend time to be deep, to understand what it means to, to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're talking about goodness and faithfulness. So my challenge to all of us is, if I want to be good and faithful, and if I say that the fruit of the Spirit is the attribute of God, that means if I want to be good, then I have to believe that God is good. Do you believe that God is good? We sing about God is good, right? We sing the goodness of God. God's goodness runs after us. Psalm 23, like I, I love that song. We, we did that song like in the pandemic, like when we did Psalm 23, the fact that surely goodness and mercy follows you all the days in our life. We sing those songs about the good, good Father. We sing about God being good all the time. And yet when something happens, if we're honest, we really question, is God good? Like this, just think about the last couple weeks. Think about the fires in Maui. Think about what's happened to people in this community right here, people losing a child or losing a job. Just this week alone, I had one of my, my best friends had a massive stroke last Sunday, and he died on Thursday. My nephew is 41 years old. He's having double bypass heart surgery. One of our neighbors is, is facing stage four cancer, and that's just a little portion, right, that reflects all the things that you guys have been through. Only you know what you've all been through. We've been through, some of us have been through some difficult, hard things. Like, I'm a sales guy, so I've been in sales for 40 years, and I work with all these companies. And so some people may be a vice president of sales in here, so don't take this personally, but I would say that, like, of all the people I've dealt with, like, I've probably dealt with 100 VP of sales, all these national people. And I, I could say on one hand, I could count the people that really changed my, my life and made me motivated me and made me better at what I do. So many of them are just average. 22 years ago, I was at a, a sales meeting up in Buffalo. What, this is one of those guys, one of those five guys. And Kevin is, a, uh, is Canadian. So I don't say all Canadians are a little bit off charts a little bit, but he's, he's always a little bit edgy, off, out of the box, uh, love to have us role play, love the challenges and stuff. He took a, a product that was a nothing product in little Buffalo, New York, and made it nationwide because he kind of thought out of the box. He knew how to market. He knew how to uh, motivate us sales guys, right, to do stuff. So here we are 22 years ago at a sales meeting, 100 people from around the country. We're in this meeting in Buffalo. I mean, who wants to go to Buffalo? But we're in Buffalo for this meeting. And uh, he's about to introduce his new, he's the VP of sales, about to introduce his new um, National sales manager. So, again, he's, in, he, he's a little off the chart. So he he, he's Canadian, so he loves hockey. So he, always, he would often dress as a hockey player. So he, he was dressed up. He had a hockey thing on. He blacked out all his teeth. He had a, a big bruise on his eye. Like, he was looking like a, a rough hockey player. And so it's a bad imagery, but, you know, there's a movie, Animal House, about this big cake. So he, he actually opens both doors to this room, and he wheels this massive cake on wheels, like this cake that's like this tall. And so inside that cake was that he was going to introduce the new national sales manager, Ron Gettner. So literally, he does this whole shtick. The guy pops out of the cake, and as soon as he pops out of the cake, like literally when that happens, a woman runs into the room. The World Trade Center has been hit. Like, we don't know what's going on in Washington, D.C. Like, the world is, like, just freaking out, crying. Like, here we are in this moment of utter joy, and all of a sudden, boom. 
9-11 happens. For my parents, like, where were you in Pearl Harbor, right? For my generation, a lot of it is like, where were you on 9-11? Like, especially in the East Coast, especially in this area. So, you know, I, I, our office was three blocks from the World Trade Center. My dad worked there. All my, a lot of friends worked there. You, you know, f- cell phones weren't working. Everything was, everybody was freaking out, right? I'm in Buffalo, which is on the border of, of Canada. So we're, there's tanks in Buffalo trying to protect what was going to happen. If people were going to come over the border. Nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew what was happening. We were fortunate. It, it actually was kind of crazy. Like the president of the company got, got up and he started to pray. And he just totally broke down and cried. And a couple of others, us got up and prayed. And it was incredible. In the middle of this sales meeting, you know, we're praying for safety. We're praying for God's intervention. We're praying for all that stuff. And in the middle of that, to be honest, all we're thinking is, how could a good God let this happen? Like, what, what's going on? What's, what's going on in this world? What, I think it's the initial thought when something tragic happens is, is God good? Is God good? You know, two days before 9-11, I was actually speaking at the church I used to go to in Kenilworth, New Jersey, and we spoke from this passage from Luke chapter 8. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, it's also going to be on the board. Another story about Jesus and a boat. Luke chapter 8, we're going to read verses 22 to 28. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down in the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You know, the context of, of me speaking that Sunday was good friends of ours were not able to have a child. And so they were struggling, and they had lost a couple of kids. They were older when they got married, and they finally were able to adopt a baby. So that Sunday, we were celebrating that they were able to adopt this little girl. But we talked about, like, the difficulties of life, and yet to know that in the midst of that, that Jesus is in the boat with us. Just a couple of things about that story, a couple of things about both stories I think apply to our life. And the first is this, is that life is hard. Life is hard. I don't, think any, I don't think I need to tell any of you that life is hard. I look around the room and some people I know, you're going through some very hard stuff with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your job, with your life. Like, life is hard. Like, don't think that if I follow Jesus, my life's going to be easy. Life's going to be hard. That story in Luke chapter 8, I, I kind of love, you know, we can't like think all these things, read everything into a story, but the amazing thing is that Jesus is on this boat with the disciples in the middle of the storm, and what is he doing? He's asleep. If you read the, the story in Mark, the disciples wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Like, are you totally clueless? How often do we really, if we're honest, if we're Christians, we have those questions thrown at us? Or if we're, even ourselves, we wonder, where is God? Like, is he asleep in the boat? Is he an old guy in the sky? Does he really care? Is God really good? 
Just a couple quotes I wanted to read. First, from a guy named George Everett Ross. He says this, I have come to understand that there are two kinds of faith. One says if, and the other says though. One says if everything goes well, if my life is prosperous, if I'm happy, if no one I love dies, if I'm successful, then I will believe in God and say my prayers and go to church and give what I can afford. The other says though, though the cost of evil prosper, though I sweat in Gethsemane, though I must drink my cup at Calvary, nevertheless, precisely then, I will trust the Lord who made me. So Job cries, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. John Stott, a, a great power of our, of our time, said this, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. This is a great sentence, he says. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely, entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's goodness and love. He says, sufferings, distribution, and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Like if we're honest and you try to compare my life to your life, that's what we do as people, right? We just naturally do that. We look at our neighbors. We look at people that we know. And some people, wow, it feels like everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong to them. And other people, it seems like everything that could possibly go right goes right to them. It seems like this random world that we live in that makes us wonder, where is God? How could God let this happen? My dad, I talk about my dad a lot, but his favorite, one of his favorite verses was in Psalm chapter 90, where it says, and in the, in the King James, it says that if, if we're fortunate enough, you live three score and ten. If you're fortunate enough, you live to be 70 years old, and if, you, if, you're, if something special happens, you maybe can live to 80. But the psalmist says, in those 80 or 70 years, or whatever God's calling you, the years that you have are going to be filled with hardship. They're going to be filled with difficulty. They're going to be filled with sorrow. They're going to be filled with, with trouble. That's, I, I want to make sure that you know that we as a church are not telling you, hey, everything is great. Life is going to be great. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to struggle. Nobody's going to lose their job. Nobody's going to have difficulties in life. Those are the realities of life. Ever since God created a world that was perfect and man sinned, ever since then there's been difficulties in this world that will continue to be until Jesus comes back. Psalm 90, though, starts by saying, David, and that's why I love, you want to talk, talk about the goodness of God, read the book of Psalms, because David cries out to God, like, why is this happening? Why are people trying to kill me? Why are my kids not happy with me? Why are all these ha things happening? But he always returns to know that God is good and God has been there from the beginning and God created him. And from generation to generation, he can look back and see that God is good. I have a couple of roommates that I stay in touch, very close touch with. I went to college in Chicago a long time ago. So um, people in the Midwest get married early. It's not like the East Coast. So one of my roommates were the same age. He's got six kids. He's got 13 grandchildren. I have three kids and no grandchildren. That's another story. But uh, so he's got all this stuff going on. 42 years married, great relationship. Pandemic happens. And what happens in the pandemic? What do people start doing in the pandemic? What do they start playing? What's the game everybody plays? Nobody even knew what the game was four, four years ago. Pickleball, right? He starts playing pickleball. Plays pickleball in his recreation in the town he lives in and playing pickleball. And, and you know, there's people and they're playing doubles and pickleball and so there's women playing and so he gets to know some women and he starts texting different people and sending emails and he didn't do anything 
but he said some things he never should have said. One day his wife goes on the computer, sees what he said to this woman, goes on his phone. So there's a marriage of 42 years, six kids, 13 grandchildren, a marriage, people that love Jesus, involved in the church, everything seems great in a moment. He walks into his house, his wife and his six kids are there, saying, Dad, who are you? Like, I thought, I thought I knew who you were. How could you, how could you do this to Mom? Or how could you do this to us? Like, my wife and I, we do a lot of pre-marriage mentoring. We're married 39 years now, whatever, and as we know, marriage is, is incredible, but marriage is continually challenging, right? And marriage is, marriage is based on, on trust, right? I trust my wife. She trusts me. You come and tell me something that my wife did, I, I don't really believe it because I know my wife's character, right? What is my wife's character? Trust is so important. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorite verses, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and, and lean on your own understandings. And always acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Like, we need to trust in God. How could I trust in God if I don't think that he's good? I would tell you that my, my friend, they rebuilt their marriage after a lot of hard, hard work and forgiveness and all those kind of things. It's been super hard. But they've been able to rebuild that. But sometimes, like, that's how we view God. Like, I don't, something happens and I question, is God really good? Is God really good? I would tell you that if you search good in the Bible, there's so many verses about the goodness of God. Psalm, 20, Psalm 34, taste and see that God is good. Psalm 23, the goodness of God pursues us our whole life, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God is good. I can trust that God's character is good. I can tell you that. I can challenge you to Read the Bible and, and find out about that. But you and your own heart and soul need to grab hold of that. Just a couple things. First, that the goodness of God is totally independent of your circumstances. And that's totally opposite of what we ever think. My life is good, therefore God is good. My job is good, God is good. God is good, totally independent of whatever circumstances that you face. Totally independent. There's this book called The Insanity of God. We've had the privilege as a church having people from, uh, from other places that talk about the, the, the struggles that people that love Jesus are in this world, like people that are getting killed, people that are losing their jobs, people that are thrown in prison, all those things. And so this guy went to interview all these people that are living in these the, the countries where it's not comfortable to be a Christian and ask him, like, why, are you, why do you trust in Jesus? Like, what, why do you do that? Like, in the midst of of your life being a disaster, of probably losing your life, like what makes you believe in Jesus? And he said, he kind of summarizes it, and he says, in a general sense, they all understand that the words of Jesus, that whoever wants to save his life must lose it. Like my life, they say, is not that important in this world. Because I know the hope that I have, because God is good, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with heaven, with God. And sometimes we forget 
my wife and I were listening to Billy Graham the, the other day driving, and like he's talking about, like, we are made for eternity. But we think our world is just right now, and right now is hard. And so it's hard for us in, in our eyes right here to understand that God has given us hope because he's good, that we're going to spend eternity with him if we know Jesus. I would say this, too, that I think the goodness of God is the foundation of what you can stand on more than anything else. Because no matter what happens, no matter what's thrown at you, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what kind of situations happen, no matter how hard it is, if I know that God is good, if I believe that and trust that, man, I can live another day. I can step forward right now in the midst of a very difficult, hard times. I can know that God is good. I can trust that God is good. Do you believe that God is good? I love this story, and, and so that's the element that, that I really want to portray in that, that we need to always cling to, is to know that Jesus is in the boat. He's in the boat with you, wherever you're at. You may not even notice he's in the boat. You may not think he's in the boat. You may not care that he's in the boat. You may think he's clueless in that boat, but he's in that boat with you in whatever situation you are in life, wherever you are. Know that the good God is in the boat with you. The Bible is full of verses that talks about the goodness of God, that God cares so much for you, and he's there with you in the midst of your trials and your tribulation and your struggles. No matter where you're at, always remember that Jesus is in the boat. Those are two great stories. I love the story, again, of, of like in the midst of a storm, right? The disciples who didn't even know who Jesus was are freaking out, right? How are we going to get home? How are we going to get to shore? I'm wondering if I'm going to be alive. And then this Jesus walks to them on the water in the middle of a storm. Didn't leave them alone. Didn't leave them stranded. Came and walked to them. And I love, again, a little license in that story, but Pete, who, got, who got out of the boat? Peter, impetuous Peter. And if you remember what Peter, Peter always spoke before he should have, always said the wrong thing, always was willing to, to talk out of turn. Remember when really just a couple weeks later, Jesus is going to the cross. And Peter once again says, Jesus, I will never deny you. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, that will never happen. It happened. He denied Jesus three times. I don't know where you've been in life. I don't know what life has been like for you. There's times where we question Jesus, question if he's good. If we're honest, there's probably times where we've denied him in the context of a social setting that you really don't want to admit that you're believing Jesus. Like there's things that you, you think about, things in your life that have happened that I've, in my own mind, I've let, I've let Jesus down. And if we're honest, because we don't really think that God is good, we think he's kind of a mean God, we think, man, I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be a believer. I don't believe, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to be a child of God. I denied Jesus. What did Jesus do to Peter? After he rose again, he went to see Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. 
He wanted Peter to know that even though he denied him and he saw that, he loved Peter desperately. I mean, the stories in the Bible, we talk about the prodigal son. We talk about these things so much, and we kind of never grab hold to the fact that our God is a loving, generous, forgiving, gracious, good God. Like, we need to be free to live in that. Not to live in guilt, not to live in, like, I don't, I, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not, no. Jesus continually says, do you love me? Jesus continually, when we sink, I mean, that's such a powerful, that, and it, we could do with music, but how the arms of Jesus reaching down to bring Peter up out of that water. Wherever you are, whenever you're under the water, Jesus is always there to pick you up. Is God good? If I believe that God is good, and I want to be rooted and fruited in the, in the, in the fruit of the Spirit, then I need to be good, and I need to be faithful. What's it like to be good and faithful? Sometimes like a goody two-shoes, right? We have this perception that being good is not, it's not cool, or it's, not, it's weird, or whatever. It means because like all those things, all the fruit of the Spirit... Like, they're all hard. It's hard to really love my enemy. It's hard to bring peace to someone that wants to challenge me. It's hard to be good in a world where somebody's throwing stuff at me to be good. How can I be good as a, as a boss? How can I be good as a worker? How can I be good as an athlete? Like, I, I would say this, that we, as if we trust and believe in Jesus... Nobody should be a better worker than any of us. We should be the hardest working, most dedicated people in whatever job that we're at. And if our boss is a jerk, you know what? I still need to live as a good... It doesn't mean I can't look for another job, but I need, I need to do it in a context that is correct. If I am a boss, I need to fire someone. Well, you know what? You, don't, you better be sure that you fire them in a way that's good. Micah 6.8, right, says, He has shown you, O oh God, O oh man, what is good. That we need to be people that love justice, that practice mercy, and that walk humbly before our God. For me, man, that humble thing, that could be a hard thing. That's a key to living, to being humble. It's not about me, right? It's about him. God's calling us to be good. God's calling us to be faithful. We're going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a great hymn of our faith about great is our faithfulness. You know, Jesus said this about being faithful. Sometimes I, I love Irma McManus. He had this quote about we kind of celebrate faith but kind of minimize being faithful. Jesus says, hey, don't swear. Don't, don't swear like I'm going to do this. You know, I swear, I swear to God. I swear to this. He said, you have no right to swear to anything. because you know, you, I'm Only I could do that. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like you're faithful. You say you're going to be somewhere, you're there. You're going to be good. We're called to be people that are good. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The guy said, what does it mean to love God and love your neighbor? He said, well, here's a story. Somebody's walking down the road, and he's on the side of the road, and you're too busy. I got, a, got, I got an appointment. I got a place to go. I got to go see him. I got to go to dinner. I got to... No. How many times has that happened to us? Like the other day, I was on Route 78 driving east, coming home. On the west side, there was a woman on the side of the road, pulled over, waving. I'm thinking. I'm at exit 24. I get off at 20. 
I can go and turn around and come see her. You know, maybe somebody else is gonna, somebody else is gonna do it. Somebody's gonna pull over. It was four days ago. I've not thought. I didn't turn around. I've not stopped thinking about that for four days. Thinking like, how could you talk about the Good Samaritan? And here was an opportunity, whether it was an opportunity or not. But I saw like here's somebody that was in need, and I drove on by. I mean, open our eyes. Like there's people all around us that are in need physical need. We need to be people that are like this, whatever you have, whatever God's gifted you with, whether it's money, finances, houses, a heart of love, compassion. We need to be willing to give it to everyone else. God is good. God is faithful. God's calling us to be faithful. Great is God's faithfulness. Yeah. 
blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. you understand and know that God is good and God is faithful and God desperately loves you. If you want to have somebody to pray for you, like I always say this, like we have a prayer thing and not enough people ever come. We all need prayer. I need prayer. We all need to be prayed for. Whatever it is, feel free to come up and be prayed for. If you don't know what it means that God is good, we love to talk about it. We love to pray about it. If you don't know who Jesus is as your Savior, we love to talk about it. If you know Jesus and you're struggling with, with whatever it is. God, know that, that the God of the universe loves you desperately. He's in the boat with you. God bless you all. Have a great week. Know that God loves you.